Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Yes, well, hey, thank you so very, very much. And welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Now, today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Kim Sullivan. Kim is a veteran actor currently holding down understudy chores in August Wilson's The Piano Lesson at the Barrymore Theater. And this is his fifth production of The Piano Lesson. And so it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say Kim Sullivan is What's Hot. Hello, Kim. Hey, G. Keith. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you so very, very much for uh, taking the time to uh, to join us today. Uh, it's been a minute since you and I have uh, spoken, but uh, at least uh, 10, 10, 15 years. Yeah, and but I've I've seen you and and we've talked over the years. I've known you since the late seventies. Uh, we'd be at auditions together and, uh, and, and so forth. And we're going to talk about all that, but right now I usually ask my special guests to, uh, join me on the Wayback machine. So let's take the Wayback machine and way back uh, the Wayback machine. Yeah. Right. Way back on the Wayback machine. And tell us what was it like growing up as little Kim Sullivan and where? <laughs> oh man, you really are going back back. Um, well, I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, I was the oldest child. A mother had another uh, brother. I had a brother who died when he was 13. I was 15. And my brother was born mentally retarded. So he spent a lot of his time in foster homes. So I didn't, after about the age of two, I didn't get to know him very well. So my mother doted on me. And uh, in Philadelphia, I think she thought I was little Lord Fauntleroy. Uh, <laughs> because I remember once, she, she kept me always duded up. Uh, she brought me lederhosen. And I remember Le one day. Lederhosen? What is? Yeah, like what? the knickers that the, that the Dutch boys wear. Oh. You know, cross-dressed and then little short pants and white socks and a whole bit. And I remember <laughs> once my, my, my North Philadelphia buddies said, you know, we had enough of that. And they tore them off me like, like wolves and sent me home crying <laughs> to my grandmother. Uh -huh. She said, what happened to you? I said, the boys tore my clothes off. They just, they did this. She said, and she got a razor strap. It took me back to the corner. I said, which one of them did it? I said, all of them, Grandma. And she turned into Thor and whooped every one of their natural bodies. <laughs> then when my mother came home, she said, get this boy some dungarees. He's in North Philadelphia, not Holland. Not, you know, he's not in the sound of music. He's in North Philadelphia. Dress him like he's in North Philadelphia. Come on, let's get with the program. And after that, it was, you know, <laughs> I was a little more conservative after that. <laughs> but she always fast-tracked me to the glee club, to singing, to, to church, all that kind of stuff. I was proper. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be proper. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be one of the boys. Mm -hmm. How can you be a bo one of the boys with a name like Kim? <laughs> Every day, it was a fist fight, you know. Kim, that's a girl's name. Bip, bip, bip. <laughs> Every day, I remember fighting. And one day, I finally said, Mom, what's with the name? Why Kim? Everybody else's name, Bruce. Everybody else's name, Mark, John, Stephen. You give me a name like Kim. It's a book that she read by Rudyard Kipling mm -hmm. called Kim, a half-caste uh, Indian and white fellow who saves the British army from sudden doom. Mm -hmm. It was made into a movie with Dean Stockwell. So I finally got the book. It's this thick. 
And I asked the bookseller, I said, why is it so thick? He said, they were paid by the word. So they really? overwrote everything. Yeah. So everything is overwrote. But she read it when she was 13. I, wow. to this day, cannot get through the book. It's about two, inch, about two inches thick. It's a, it's a tome. Wow. It, it, it reads like one. And the setting sun on the horizon was so long and dusty, blah, 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 blah. And get to the point, man. <laughs> I'd rather watch the movie. <laughs> She, she was she was a reading fiend. She read it when she was 13. And 13. it stuck with her. So when she finally had a son, his name was Kim. There you have it. Incredible. So so you know, I I I admire you all these years that that we've uh, been together at auditions and things. You you always show up in in a suit, in a vest, and you always have a hat on. You're like a, a fedora. And uh so now, is that a um offspring or offshoot of, of your growing up wearing, yeah. you know, being proper and, and so forth? I was a church boy. I was a choir boy. Uh, so my mother always put me in press pants. I was always clean to the, to the annoyance of all my other buddies. <laughs> it's, it stuck with me all my life. And my mother always tell me, look, just dress up. You always get in the door. You will always get a positive response. Even though you don't know anything, even though you're dumber than dishwater, if you look good, that's half the game. So be clean. That's you half the game. You always dressed like a gentleman, a suit with a vest. And 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 so now today, in honor of you and our friendship, I thought you'd be on with a vest. So I decided, well, I'm gonna wear a vest today. I don't for those who are listening via uh radio, uh, we don't have suits on, but we both of us are wearing vests over our shirts. Uh, today. Well, here's a little more nondescript than this one. This is a very special vest. Yeah. This is in Chinese. These, this lettering that you, no one can see is in Chinese, and it means good luck, longevity, good luck. I bought it about 25 years ago at a high-end haberdashery in the West Village. Spent a good lot of change for it, but it has served me well, and it, it has brought me good luck. I've had to repair it two or three times. It tries to fall apart on me, but um, I save it every time, and I will... <laughs> If uh, if I if it lasts, you can be, you can bury me in this bad boy. <laughs> well, well, those who will be watching via our TV channel, because uh, not only are we going across our audio networks, but we we also will take this video and it'll go into um, post production. We'll edit it. <clears throat> excuse me. And those people who will be watching the show uh, on our channel. Uh, they'll see this beautiful vest with the Chinese lettering and so forth and so on. So, <clears throat> all right, now let, let's get to uh, you are now uh, over the years. I've, you know, witnessed your productions, uh, not visually, but you've always sent me press releases from Didwa Diddley and, and all these other places where you've been performing. And, yeah, and now yeah. you're, you're on Broadway. What is it like? being on Broadway for you? G. Keith, I'm a 70-year-old rookie. This, and, and, and that amazes everyone. They say, you haven't been here before? I haven't. I've done a lot of these shows, Broadway-type shows, but never on Broadway. Always on the road. I'm the road king. Hmm. I did the River Niger in 1974 uh, on the road. It played Broadway, but I did the road company. Don't bother me, I can't cope. On the road, always on the road. Uh, piano lesson, five times in regional theaters. Uh, and every other August Wilson play I've done, always in a regional theater. Speaking of August, this is a funny story too. Yes. 
Tell my us. first, I, the first August Wilson show that I saw was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. I wrangled a ticket somehow for opening night. And in the end of that play, a black man kills another black man. It was mm-hmm. the first time I'd ever seen a black man kill another black man on stage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was in shock. I'd never seen that. I found myself standing right next to August Wilson at the opening night party at the West Bank Cafe. And I was puzzled. I wanted to say, man, why would you have somebody kill somebody on, in your play? And, but I said, I knew I knew enough. Don't say that. Don't ask him a bunch of silly questions. Just say, good job, nice job, whatever. Whatever you say on opening night, congratulations, and call it a day. Don't bring <laughs> up any negativity. Mm-hmm. Don't put your foot in your mouth. Three years later, I found, found myself doing the actual play, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm-hmm. at the Cleveland Playhouse for Claude Purdy, one mm-hmm. of his boards. Mm-hmm. And I had to do the killing. <laughs> so I had to figure out now, why is this guy going to kill a guy? And it turns out it's a very deep psychological play. The guy I played, Levy, has deep psychological problems. Mm-hmm. And as it was explained to me, and as you found out during the rehearsal period, oh, okay, I see why this guy has his issues. He's got issues up, up the way his mother was raped by some white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mother, who was very religious, called on God in her moment of need, and God did not show up. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so he had no use for religion. He had no use for God. He had no use for uh, Christianity. And in the play, he cusses out God and cusses out Christianity. And there I was, cussing out God and cussing out Christianity in the heart of the Bible Belt in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. People were walking out on me in droves. Mm-hmm. I could see them. I could see them walking out. I wasn't having it, Jiki. One night I figured out how to get out there ahead of them as they were walking out at the end of, at the, end of the curtain call. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, I said, why are you guys walking out on me? I said, do you realize you're cussing out God in the Bible Belt itself? I think it's a play, it's make-believe. I believe in God, I'm a Christian, it's just a play. It's not just a play to us, it's the real deal to us. Mm-hmm. And I had to really, I had to take that in. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. to adjust my performance. Really, I had to tone it down if I wanted them to stay in the seats. I had to deliver it with a velvet glove. It was cruel talk, but I had to adjust. I had to pull back. My director had to deliver, had directed me to be full force, to mm-hmm. be as vicious and mean as I could be. Mm-hmm. But it, they weren't. The audience wasn't buying it, and he was gone. And there they were working out on me, Kim Sullivan, and I wasn't having it. So I adjusted my performance to the crowd. And I realized that's something you just have to do, something you have to feel. You got to um, learn how to play the room or uh, read the room, as they asked the set. What you, what you were taught might be one thing, but when it actually goes out in practice, it's not, it's not correct, it's not correct. And you have to adjust. Never lose the ability to adjust your performance to the, to the climate of the room of the people you're playing. That's something that no one can teach you you just got to learn that. Gotta you just got to feel it. Wow. wow. So <clears throat> what other um, anecdotes you, do you have from, from being on stage, things that, that may have happened on stage that, uh, that you may have had to, uh, using your experience or, 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 or having no experience, you've had to, to, to deal with? Well, uh, we were talking about our late brother, Anthony Chisholm, earlier right. today. Fine and actor. 
fine actor, good human being, but absent-minded as all get out. The story is <laughs> check your props. Anthony Chisholm played Slow Drag in the very same play. Mm-hmm. And, and during the whole play, he would do car tricks mm-hmm. uh, to lighten the mood, to, to, to get a little levity. And somewhere late in the run, Anthony began to forget the cards. And uh, showing up one night, he came on stage and this is the final scene of the final play, the final week. I've had about enough of Chisholm. And, and I'm waiting on this cue and here he comes. Hey, Levy, let me show you this imaginary card trick. He done forgot the cards and the prop table is right at the entrance of the stage. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't believe this guy. Card tricks is what he does. He carries them every night. He carries them all through the play. And now he doesn't have a pack. And I'm dumbfounded. I like, I don't want to see no imaginary card trick. All right, show it to me. I just changed the script. He goes, <laughs> he, 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 he mimes cards being dug. He says, six of diamond, that's your card, isn't it? I said, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> we got off stage and I told Chola, I said, you wait till we get back to New York. I'm going to tell everybody how you forgot those cards. <laughs> you're, supposed have every, you're supposed to have cards all over you. And, you know, I found, I found out later on, if you want to work, if you have to work with an actor like Chisholm, put six, seven different packs of cards all over his body in every pocket so that he would never forget because he'll always forget. And it happened again. I worked with him 10 years later. He was supposed to bring on a deed that he had for a house. Uh-huh. And of course, he would forget the deed and forget the numbers. I said, and I told the stage manager, put a deed in every one of his pockets. That way, no matter what he does, he'll never, <laughs> he, he'll always have it. Check your props. Check your, they tell you that all the time. Check your props. I had a guy who I was supposed to be a gun toter who would never mm-hmm. would always forget to have his gun. <laughs> and he had well, to run off stage and go find it. And you could hear him rummaging backstage trying to find it. Man, check your props. <laughs> if, you know, you uh, it, it, it share this story. It's, it's sort of a, a sentimental uh, story, but share the story about uh, Anthony and the spider. Well, you know, when Chisholm first came to town, he was devilishly handsome. He was model pretty. And he pretty much capitalized on that. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Vietnam, he got drafted. And when he came back, he was no longer pretty, but he was still a fine actor. Mm-hmm. Well, one day we were backstage, just kibitzing, just standing around talking, and a spider walked by on the floor. And my instinct was to reach out and stomp that spider to death. Chisholm had a heart attack. Why would you do that? It's a living thing. And it's an insect, Tony. <laughs> but it's living. It's got a beat. It's got a heartbeat, you know. And he was upset for the whole day. He, I thought he wasn't going to get over it. This guy who had been to Vietnam, who had killed people, was totally anti-violence. And I never forgot that. He was like, you kill a living thing. And it was just a, spy, a lowly spider. But it upset him to no end. And I realized Vietnam had changed this boy. He was no longer the Anthony that we, you know, I, back in the day, he would care less he's killed a spider. But Vietnam changed him, flipped him. And he, now he knew the value of life, wow. even in insect life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And we, we became fat, you know, after we got over that, we became really even fast friends. I realized just how much love was in his heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how Vietnam had pretty much done a job on him showed them the value of life, even insect life. Incredible. Wow.
Well, we're uh, winding down. We've got about a minute and a half uh, before we go to break. And there's so much more that I want to talk to you about, which we will on on the other side. I just want to remind people that uh, Kim Sullivan is in the piano lesson on Broadway at the Barrymore Theater. And uh, you've got to get down there and you've got to see this great presentation. Uh, Tell them, tell our audience who some of the folks are. uh, Yeah, let let me straighten out one little thing. I'm, I'm in the play, but I am an understudy. I'm not on every night. I managed to get on once, but I'm an understudy. I understudied Mr. Michael Potts as Whining Boy, and I'm the second understudy to Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Doker. His first understudy is Peter J. Fernandez, a seven-time Broadway veteran who will probably go on before me. Everyone is double covered because of the COVID. Uh, We're also starring Mr. John David Washington, son of Denzel Washington, and Miss Danielle Brooks. April Mathis plays Grace, Uh, Trey, can't remember his Trey's last name, but he's on Empire. He's a big time star. Mm-hmm. And Ray Wilson plays Lyman. Uh, and we have two young ladies, two kids, um, uh, Nadia, Daniel, who plays Maritha. She alternates with Journey. Journey, I can't remember Journey's last name. But we have two minors in the show who are charming as all get out. And uh, this play won the Pulitzer Prize. We're at the Barrymore Theater on West 47th Street. We've just been extended to January 29th. Please come, see, please come see Samuel Jackson and John David Washington and Daniel Brooks, who are our big main stars. And, uh, and they carry it. They carry it every night. They're fun to watch. And it's directed by LaTanya oh, Richardson. It's directed by, directed by Sam's wife, LaTanya Richardson, my friends of 25 years. I knew them when they were pups. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I, I saw LaTanya and Sam at the... Uh, at, at the Apollo Theater for the gala. And uh, LaTanya told me that uh, she would do my show, but we've not been able to schedule her because of her, you know, schedule working with, with the show. But uh, hopefully we'll get LaTanya here on Harlem America. Uh, you need to get the two of them together. That is a, that's quite the show. <laughs> the two of well, them. that would be beautiful. Well, hey, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, funny. They I'm, are I'm, funny together. Really? I'm going to depend on you to be my emissary so that when you go back, you could tell LaTanya that you did the show and see if we can get her and Sam together. That would be, be funny. Great. Yeah. So, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we take this quick break? We'll be right back. Please don't go anywhere. Uh, we're with Kim Sullivan and I'm. Well, you know who I am. I'm GK Alexander. Alexander. Yeah, you know. What's that G stand for, by the way? I never knew. Oh, you, oh, you, you, you want me to tell you what the G stands for? Please. Okay. Well, when I'm in the midst of generals, is Grant. When I'm in Braun. But when I'm in the midst of beautiful women, it's gigantic. So, <laughs> you sound like somebody from Robert Wilson play. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back right after this. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. 
Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out. Check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America. Where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to Alexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you so very much. Hey, that's that's Kevra. Kevra Bernard. She's she's wonderful. She's a voice of her artist. And she's got uh, her Christmas album out as well. So you should check out Kevra. And uh, right now we have uh, my friend from uh, oh, a long time ago, Mr. Kim Sullivan. And uh, Kim, now that we're back, why don't, uh, you know, back in... The 88, I had just gotten married in August and I had I just, I, I had just done this film in Mexico called Osa uh, with uh, uh, what's her name? Lynch. I can't remember her, her first name, but she, she was an, an actress that went on to do uh, various films and things. And um, when I at, after the film debuted and everything, the producer called me up again and said, Hey, we've got this uh, film. Would you uh, like to do another film with me? And I said, sure. He said, well, this one's going to be in Israel. Uh-uh. I said, wait a minute. Wait, I, wait started, a minute. I said, I have just gotten married and they're blowing up cafes. So they just blew up a cafe the week before I said, no, nah, as much as I love to go to Israel, I don't think this is the right time. Let's see. Wait, Kim will go. Yeah. Let Kim me call go. Kim. And He's so, young. so I referred young. you, I referred you to the director. Uh, tell us about that experience. Well, first of all, I thought you were pulling my leg. I couldn't believe that I would get a film by way of a phone call from another buddy. <laughs> and I had to call the director who interviewed me over the phone. And by the end of the call, he's like, okay, you're the guy if you're willing to go. <laughs> and he gave me his American Express card over the mm-hmm. telephone. I thought, really? this is weird. He wanted me to buy the ticket. Hmm. So all the usual stuff that you imagine, first of all, there's no agent. And, no, and I'm buying my own ticket? What is that about? <laughs> but I'm trusting G. Keith, who wouldn't, who wouldn't send me down the garden path, except to be blown up in Israel in a <laughs> rocket attack. <laughs> <laughs> and all that was in the back of my mind the whole time I was there. And sure enough, when one of those bus rides to Jerusalem, I, I went to Jerusalem just for fun. Mm-hmm. I saw a burned out shell of a bus on the side of the road. And I thought, oh, my God, that could be me. 
That could be me. I'm really taking a chance here. And I wanted to let you know, G. Keith, I dodged the bullet. I'm back here to tell you that it was just fine. I had, I had the greatest time of my life. But Man. danger was always in the back of my mind. But I had a great time. Oh, that, that, I, I, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you uh, that that you you know didn't have any problems or anything, and that you enjoyed Israel. And uh, the I, only problem was I never saw the film. The film vanished. Uh, they really? were very top secret about it. The, I remember the director's name. His name was Gorgi Daniela. He was mm -hmm. Russian. Mm -hmm. And only some 25 years later, I was doing a play called Silence and Fear, the story of Nina Simone. And we hired a Russian actress. And I mentioned this director to her. And I would always mention this director to Russian cab drivers who would say, he's the greatest director in Russia that ever lived. Really? So I mentioned it to this actress. She said, yeah, I know who Gorgi Daniela is. I said, well, I did a film for him called The Passport. She looked it up. She found the film, sent me a copy. And I'm not half bad. Uh, really? Yeah. And I would try to find it somewhere in my emails and send it to you so that you can see what, what you sent me to do. And it wasn't a half bad film. However, I do remember shooting a scene where I'm in a coffin. So apparently I get killed in this film and <laughs> I don't need to see that. I'll pass in that part. I tried sitting through it the other night. I saw my big scene. Uh -huh. And I remember well, yeah, the, the, the final scene that I am, I'm in a coffin, which was a very uncomfortable shoot for me. Really? Wow. I, don't I can imagine. Wow. So I, um, <clears throat> I, I you guess. My first job, man. You got me my first major motion picture. Thank you, brother. You're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. Uh, so tell me, what was the role? What did you play? I'm a sort of, um, as I recall, a sort of spy, a sort of a secret agent type. My man. And I, uh, just a conduit for another spy. I steer him towards, I give him some key information late at night on the beach. Mm -hmm. uh, in the shadows of some boats. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was shocked at how young I was. I, and, um, but it's, it, it looks like I actually learned a little thing because I, could, it, I was like, that actor's good. Oh, that's me. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, not bad. And I make the film move, I, it, the film moves forward to the next beat. Now, I refuse to watch me get killed. I don't know how I got killed. I don't remember being killed. But I do remember shooting a scene in a coffin. So I don't want to see that ever. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll just pass on that. But I'll find and, the film for you and I'll forward it to you. Okay. And the name of the film is Passport, I believe. The, the Passport. The Passport. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I have fond memories of the producer. Uh, every night when we were shooting, we shot in Mexico and they put us up at a... Uh, at a uh, club med. So I was at club med for three, three weeks. Boy, that was fun. And uh, the producer every night would, would bring out one of those Mason jars full of caviar and, wow. he would, and he would pass it around and we'd all eat caviar at night. I remember this gentleman, he, he was, and he also produced the film or he was in the film gorillas of the mist. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, I remember on the, on the, um, on the beach one day, he challenged me. He, I thought I was young and strong. He challenged me to a leaping contest to see how far we could leap and run. Mm -hmm. And he beat me out. He was he was strong like bull. <laughs> and embarrassed me, as I recall. But he was a very nice guy. Well, they paid good. me cash money. I said, how do you get paid? He said, we're going to give you cash. And he pulled, and the day, the final day, he pulled out 3,000, he pulled out uh, 30 $100 bills Mm. that had that stamp of um, the star and crescent on it. 
Uh-huh. Said, How do I get this back to America? He said, put it in your pocket. <laughs> put it in my pocket and come home with it. I got paid. <laughs> put it in my pocket and ain't say nothing. Said, oh, <laughs> they said, do you have anything to declare? I said, nothing but um, safe arrival. <laughs> <laughs> oh, incredible. All right. Well, hey, so Kim, tell us <clears throat> some of the um, the actors you would love to work with wow well i never do a i never thought a, i'd like to actually work with sam and I, I finally got my chance to work with sam i'd like to work with denzel john's father mm-hmm. uh, who comes to the set every now and then as does his mother she comes undercover she's an undercover mother to come see her <laughs> undercover brother's son who did a uh-huh. film called undercover brother for spike uh-huh. lee and watching her watch them is funny mm-hmm. as i get out actually we watched Denzel when he first came to town. He sort of leapfrogged all of us. We were like, who is this young man from Mount Vernon? But he had something. He had, he had that gift. He was just good. He was just good. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't lost to me that he was stunningly handsome either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he sort of leapfrogged us and made it to a big stardom. Now I'm watching his son come into his own. But watching Pauletta watch him is, is quite as sweet. She's there to watch her son. No one seems to know that she's there. I almost miss her every now and then because she's always masked up in dark glasses. Mm-hmm. At she'll say, "Kim, Pauletta, at you, <laughs> boy, you go, Ma." Uh, John David is a charmer. Mm-hmm. He's got good bring up see, and he's going to be a fine actor. He is a fine actor, uh, despite his film stuff. You got to cut your teeth in the theater. You got to be able to project. You got to be able to. You got to have presence on the stage. And he's distancing himself from his father's shadow very, very well. Mm. He's an actor in his own right. Soon they won't be saying he's Denzel's son. They'll just be saying he's John David Washington. End of story. Fantastic. So what is it like, okay, being an understudy and being uh, there every night, how do you pass the time? What do you do? Waiting for that, waiting for someone to say, hey, you're on, Kim, get up there. This is the hardest part of the job. This is the hardest part of the job. Staying alert, staying ready, and yet never going on. It is the hardest thing in the world. And I didn't think I was, I'd made up my mind that I wasn't going to get on because Michael Potts is never late, total professional, never sick. Uh, And in in fact, if anybody got sick, I got sick. Mm-hmm. I tested positive for the for the COVID and they sent me home to Philadelphia to recuperate by myself. Mm-hmm. While I was recuperating, they sent an email saying, you're going on November 29. It was now November 15. So I had a good 10 days to prepare mm-hmm. and to get well. But who, 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 go, who goes on for the understudy? Thank God the understudy doesn't go on. But they were they were dicey because his second understudy is a little younger than me. And he was nervous. He wasn't mm-hmm. ready to go on if Michael should go get sick. Mm-hmm. He was late once because he comes from Newark. Sometimes the trains mess him up. But uh, he never he's never actually been late. Uh, he, in fact, one time he was late and they told me to get ready. Uh, and they said, we'll get him till 1.50. Show goes up at 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Thank God, whining boy doesn't show up till 30 minutes into the play. So he has a little grace period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He showed up at 1.48. He had two minutes left. But they had my suit ready. If you put the suit on, you're going mm-hmm. on. They mm-hmm. said, don't put it on until 150. He showed up at 148. And he had the nerve to say, I was looking forward to watching you go on. 
I said, you could have really? walked a little slower, man, if you really wanted to go. <laughs> you know, you could have bought a sandwich or something, you know. <laughs> but um, I got 10 days notice. Often, you have to go on at a moment's notice, which like I was supposed to go on that one time that the trains messed him up. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing in the world to do, though, to be ready all the time. Um, my dressing room is a five-floor walk-up. Gee, Keith, I'm 70 years old. I ain't walking up them five flights. I go straight down to the basement where there's a nice couch. Mm-hmm. I camp out in with the techies and I just watch the show from the monitor. But it's hard work. It, it was also hard work for me coming back to New York. You know, I left New York in yeah. 2016. I moved to Philadelphia to take care of my mother who had stage four. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, she passed away in 2017. And now I live in Philadelphia. So for me to re, so now I'm a, now back in New York, I'm a stranger again. I had to get used to the subway again. I had to get used to Times Square again. Mm. I had to get used to the fast paced again. I had to become a New Yorker again. And I hadn't been a New Yorker for at least seven or eight years. It took some doing. And I'm not young any longer either. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, that. So being in time, it was, it was a lot to get just to. And I must tell you as, as, this is the hardest gig I've ever had. It's, and it's not hard because it's hard. The gig itself is hard, but the mm-hmm. things that go with it, the, the late night trips to Brooklyn where I had to stay because I had to stay at somebody's couch mm-hmm. or pull out couch. Mm-hmm. So I got, now I have a mortgage and I got to pay rent while I'm here. Mm-hmm. All the other New Yorkers live here, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. Trey, who's a guest. He's from Hollywood. And mm-hmm. Sam, who's always had a house here. And John David, who lives in his... His, his people's house, mm-hmm. but Danielle's probably a New Yorker. All the rest of them are New Yorkers. I have to reacquaint myself with New York. It's quite the adjustment. Uh, I got to wait till Michael's last scene before I book out home. Getting that late night train to Brooklyn is a chore. The subway is dicey at best. Yeah. And, we live, and now we live in a pandemic. A biblical plague has attacked us. So I'm masked up all the time. We are tested three times a week. Really? We have, we have a COVID cop on the premises who makes sure that your mask is up. You can't take a sip of coffee without him saying, but now put that mask back up there. You know, it's, it's, it's quite the adjustment, man. It is no joke. It's nothing, and there's nothing easy about it. The only time I ha- had it easy was when I was actually on stage for the few minutes I was on stage. Mm-hmm. But everything, mm-hmm. everything surrounding the job is hard work. Hard work. How many characters must you keep in your head? The uh, the lines for these particular characters. I mean, you know, you've asked the bingo question. You've asked the bingo question. Wine and boy comes easy to me because mm-hmm. I've done it twice. Doker, mm-hmm. it's hard work because I've only done it once, mm-hmm. and now we're concentrating more on Doker. Mm-hmm. This coming Thursday, I have I have rehearsal for Doker, and they want me to be letter perfect. I held the script the other day. Mm-hmm. And they let me get away with it because everybody else is holding the script. But mm-hmm. now they want us to be letter perfect, no script. And not only does he have a lot of words to say, he has a lot of business to do. I have to cook on stage. I have to drink on stage. I have to carry a pistol on stage. It's a lot of stuff. And the timing has to be just right. And you can't learn it by watching from an audience. You have mm-hmm. to learn it by actually doing. Well, but the understudies don't get the time to learn They sort of have to force feed themselves to learn it on the quick. But believe me, by Thursday, I will have it down. I will prove to them that I am the right guy for the job. And that if in some strange fluke, 
Sam is out and his first understudy, Peter J. Fernandez, is out, I will be ready to go on. I have yet to see a costume, but I'll be ready. Incredible. Wow. So as part of the uh, social media promotion, uh, I used uh, uh, the uh, images that you sent with you on stage and doing a victory dance or, or something like that. Uh, for the folks who will see that and have seen it, tell us what scene is that? That's the curtain call. And those shots should not really happen. Somebody took them from the audience. I can't say really? who. Yeah. You're not supposed to take any pictures in the curtain call, but some, some, some clever buddy who <laughs> made those photos and handed them to me. And that's how you got them. But they're really not legal. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a curtain call, you know, and it, and I'm happy and it's selling the show. Who cares at this point, at this day? But you're not supposed to take pictures. Somebody did that very on the slick. They were very slick and they, they're very nice photos. And I will keep them for the rest of my life. And I will not reveal the name of who took them. I know well, the guy, very good friend. Oh, okay. Well, then uh, he that person won't get uh, photo credit. They'll, the photos no. by Anonymous. Anonymous. Yes, Anonymous. <laughs> anonymous. You know him. You know Anonymous. Oh, yeah. You know, Anonymous. Uh, we all know Anonymous. So, uh, Kim, so what's happening uh, in your life as far as uh, your future uh, plans and ambitions and, and desires and things? Well, Merv, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> we close January 29, with this, which is an extension, because we were supposed to close January 15. So we got mm -hmm. two more weeks. We're mm -hmm. a hit. I'm going back to Paris in March to complete the tour of Silence and Fear, the story of Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. I play her father, John Devine, who oh. was a piece of work, too. Mm -hmm. She gets her show business thing from him. Mm -hmm. He was a piece of work. And we're going to play to the Theater de la Bastille in Paris proper for 10 mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. That's the whole reason I took the gig. I played everywhere but Paris. I've been all over France, south of France, east of France, Normandy, Britannia. We played Portugal. We played Switzerland. I've played everywhere but Paris itself. So I'm looking forward to actually playing the Theater de la Bastille in Paris, one of their oldest theaters, most respected theaters. And then that'll be the end of the tour. And I hope they give me that costume. Yeah, really? Yeah, I hope so. I hope to get the shoes at least uh, hmm. because they bought them modeled on my shoes. Hmm. Uh, and then after that, I will be idle. And I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'm hoping I, that I've sewn some tickets and sewn some, um, some breadcrumbs that people will come looking for me. But after March, I'm kind of without a job. Well, and, I tell you what, why don't we kind of leave it right there for now? We've got uh, about 20 seconds. Uh, let's go to a break and we'll come back and we'll see if we can find you some work. Okay, Kim Sullivan? Uh, a song. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Thank you for hanging out with us in our neighborhood. And uh, we'll be right back with uh, my friend Kim Sullivan and uh, find out uh, some other things about him that maybe he hasn't spoken about publicly yet. All right? I'm Thank you, <laughs> We'll be right back. Thank you.
Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Harlem America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Thank Ooh. you. So, Kim. Listen. Yes, sir, General Grant. <laughs> uh, do you have any regrets? Have, have, what have you had to give up in order to be the Kim Sullivan that we know today? Uh, ooh, we. Uh, well, let me, let, me, let me do some corrections first. Uh, Trey Byers plays Avery in our play. He's from mm-hmm. Empire and Ray Fisher, not Ray Wilson. Ray Fisher plays Lyman and they both do an excellent job. They're great guys, wonderful guys, and they do an excellent job. Also is Journey Swan is the second Maritha. Um, my other understudy buddies are Shireen Babb, mm-hmm. who understudies Bernice and Grace, Charles Browning, who I did uh, a, a production of, of Piano Lesson with out here in Brooklyn. Uh, he played. He understudies Avery and Boy Willie and Lyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter J. Fernandez, my buddy from 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I was at his wedding. Um, Peter J. Fernandez is a seven-time Broadway veteran, and even Broadway veterans take jobs understudying because they're good jobs. They're good jobs. Uh, and when I have a problem, when I have a, when I have a quandary, I go to Peter and say, "Look, man, how do I handle this?" And Peter always never fails to let me know how to play it. Uh, he's the brightest guy in the bunch. Sharina Martin, <laughs> he is, literally. And he prays us into heaven every night, too, when we go on stage. Really? Uh, Sharina Martin, understudies Grace and Bernice. Warner Miller, a new buddy, new friend, uh, who just had a baby boy, baby girl. He, he understudies Boy Willie and Avery. Duran Japal Mitchell, who was in, uh, not Trip to Bountiful, but uh, the, the To Kill a Mockingbird with Latanya. Mm-hmm. Uh, good old boy. Uh, and those are all the actors. Our set is by Beowulf Borat, whose set is um, underneath 
uh, Ohio State Murders, which I just read about today, mm-hmm. that Kenny Leon is directing. He's a good old boy. And I was on his set um, in Virginia when we did piano lesson for Reggie Life at the Virginia stage in Norfolk, Virginia. They're all sweet, sweet people. And I got to tell you, man, I've never seen such to put up a Broadway show, there's so many elements, so many people have to put in their time and their, their expertise. It's quite the collaborative effort. It takes quite a lot of souls to bring the whole thing together. A lot of patience, a lot of love. Um, Tanya has been sweet as she can be and funny as all get out. Hmm. And uh, I, I would tell you, I told you the funny thing is you got to get some Tanya and Sam together. Seeing one without the other is, is pointless. Really? <laughs> yeah. But when they get together, it's quite the card game. <laughs> it's hilarious. Well, I, I, like I said, you're my emissary. Uh, you just remind Tanya that she told me she'd do the show. And uh, let's see if we can hook that up. You know? I'll do my best. Now, you yeah. talk about regrets. Yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, when my mother took ill, Mm-hmm. And I had to pack up my stuff in a U-Haul van and move on down the pike to fill, back to Philadelphia. Uh, I thought that was a regret mm-hmm. because you're leaving the scene. Mm-hmm. You're basically pulling yourself out of the running for acting work, and that's what I live for. And I remember my mother telling me when I moved back there, she said, I never thought in a million years that you'd actually give up your career and come here and nurse me. Wow. I said, well, it's just me and you, mom. You know, I'm an only child. Well, I grew up as an only child. Mm-hmm. I said, it's just me and you. And that theater thing can wait. I said all the right stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was nervous. I was like, man, <laughs> nobody leaves the scene because you want to be ready for the call. And there were days when I was down there in Philly when I would say, gee, Keith, man, I'm like, am I ever going to get back? Am I ever going to get my career back on track? It took years to get it rolling. And once you pull out, you're out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Word gets around that you're not in town. Agents forget about you. Casting people forget about you. Your friends pretty much forget about you. They know you're not on the scene. It's a long distance call. Well, I had to pray on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Ma finally checked out. And it was a real depressing period for a while there. And then slowly but surely, things began to fall into place. Woody King called, an mm-hmm. old, old friend, mm-hmm. and, and said, come on up and do this other play, um, Looking for Leroy, where I played Imamu Baraka. Mm. So I got that. Now I had to scramble because I, I no longer live in New York, so I had to find a place to stay. It was, that was always dicey. Mm-hmm. But the show was a hit. And in between the rehearsal period for that show, I got this call from agent about this play going to Europe, Silence and Fear the story of Nina Simone. And then they, they saw me, they, they wanted to see me for an audition for an hour and a half. That's unheard of. Wow. Usually you're in for 10 minutes and you're out in 10 minutes and so quick you make your head spin. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see me for an hour and a half, which means I had to steal rehearsal time from the play I was rehearsing in. But Petronia, to her credit, said, go ahead, don't worry about it. Petronia, and this hour and a half. Petronia Paley? Yes, she was the director of um, Looking for Leroy. I she love said, Petronia. I've, I've had her on the show. I love Petronia. She's a sweetheart, and she understood. Yeah. She said, go ahead, just go do it. And this hour and a half, we spent just talking. They wanted to know about me, who I was, 
did I know any music? Did I, where was I from? Uh, did I know about Nina Simone? Of course I knew about Nina Simone. I, I mean, my roommate, my college roommate played Nina Simone ad infinitum. He would play her at 10 o'clock in the morning. I was like, look, this ain't 10 o'clock in the morning music, man. People put me off Nina Simone. Uh, our graduating class at Ben Franklin High School sang Young, Gifted, and Black as their departing song. Mm. So yeah, I was familiar with Nina Simone. Then they called back and said, we want to see you for another hour and a half. And Petronia, to her credit, said, go ahead, do it, do the second one. And in this one, they took even more time. It was mm. about two hours where we just sat around talking. We read a little bit of the script, but a lot of it was in French that they read to me. And my French is on petit peu, believe me. I, I had French in junior high school, but I understand very, very little. We, oui? So then they went away for two months and I forgot all about it. I said, well, another one, kiss that one goodbye. And then after about two months, my agent called and said, remember that thing you went up for where they were going to France? About Nina Simone? I said, yeah, they want you. I said, you lied. <laughs> Pull my leg. I said, I wouldn't lie about that. And they were very lax to get back to me about the contract, about the money and everything. Then when I translated the money, the money was a little small. I said, can we, uh, can we up the money a little bit? They upped <laughs> the money. They like, did. Wow. Then they sent a plane ticket. And thank God I had my passport and I was ready again. Got to mm -hmm. be ready. Thank the Lord, be ready. Uh, and lo and behold, we started touring France. Now, the only reason I took it was because we were going to play Paris. But we played everywhere but Paris. We played all these festivals all over France, which is mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. And then we got kicked out by the COVID. The panic, the thing happened. And everything got shut down. So we, we lost our place in the, the Theater de la Bastille. Uh, and we had to get back in line. And it's just now coming up in March. I signed the contract a year ago. Wow, yeah, wow. A year ago. But that's how, that's how early they have to book. Mm -hmm. So in terms of regrets, I've had a few, but then again, <laughs> too few to mention. <laughs> I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. <laughs> I've lived each charted course, each loaded along the highway and more. But more than this, I and did, it, did my it my way. Wow, Kim Sullivan. All right. Gave us a little performance there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So, Kim, the um, going forward, what do you see as your uh, your eventual swan song, so to speak? Well, I want real stardom. This is great. This is cute. This is a start. Mm -hmm. But at 70 years old, I want real stardom. I want, you know, uh, I want to be a star. I want to give it this to know what it feels like. I want a project that, you know, I don't want to be understudy ever again. And if I do an understudy ever again, I want to guarantee go on. Meaning, I didn't even know that you could ask for that. Mm -hmm. uh, April Mathis told me, said, well, are you going on? I was like, not as far as I know. She said, next time you do an understudy job, make sure you get it in your contract that you guaranteed to go on because it's not unheard of for an understudy to do the whole understudy tour and never get on the stage. Wow. Wow. But I want, I want a chance at real stardom and I wouldn't mind doing it in an August Wilson play. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind doing it for a director named Kenny Leon. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind doing it for a director named Ann Hawk Ann Kaufman who directed me in a kid's play, but she was wonderful. I wouldn't mind doing it uh, in an Arthur Miller play, but I want real stardom. 
I want a major motion picture again, someone that everyone can see here in America. You know, they say the Americans make movies, the foreign, the Europeans make films. There's a subtle difference there. Oh. I want to be an American star in a movie. Well, the or next one I well, the next one I decide to turn down, I'll certainly there recommend you, you, you know. Hey, they're going to the moon. Can you go? I sure, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I got I'm ready. You know, the last one I did, if I may blow my own horn for those uh listeners and and, and viewers who don't know. Uh, the last film I did was The Intern with uh, Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. And uh, I, they, yeah. hired me, they hired me as a principal. And so the, the day that uh, uh, Robert De Niro walks in for the intern job, I'm one of the interns that walk in with him. So okay. uh, I could have turned that down and recommended you, but I decided, <laughs> uh, you know, since it was Robert De Niro, I'd keep that one. Why not? Why not? Why not over Bob? Yeah. But uh, man, this has been great. Uh, we've got uh, less than two minutes. And I just want to say that I'm so glad that uh, we've had this time together after all these years, really, really sit down. Because, you know, being in the business, you have your your friends, your audition friends, your your, your friends that you right. see and maybe speak to them for, for five or 10 minutes at the audition. And right. but, you know, yeah, and, and next time you see him again is at the next audition, you know, and you never really get a chance to sit down for a whole hour or so and just kind of kick it back. And I'm glad that we've had an opportunity to 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 do that. And uh, speaking I wanna, of friend, yeah, speaking of friend, is our friend Bat Johnson still with us? I haven't Bat. heard. I haven't heard anything that negative that, or anything bad, right? Yeah, uh, I Bat. love Bat. He was a nice guy. Always encouraged me. Always was uh, forthright. And uh, he, always, he he was just a good old boy, and I and I rarely see him or even hear about him lately. Well, quick story, real quick, because we only got a, a, about a minute and a half. Uh, I was working at WRVR Radio, the jazz radio station, and my program director brings in this guy that I'd never met before, named Bat Johnson, who had just gotten fired from his radio show up in Boston. And I said to him, "Hey, man, you know, don't worry about it. I'm sure you'll find a job. You know, don't don't even worry yeah, about your it. job." Yeah, and little did I know, two weeks later, they fired me and hired Bat Johnson for my job. <laughs> See? But well, help but, nobody. Yeah, but but Bat and I remained friends because I went to, to to a new radio station that just started, Disco ninety two WKTU, and stayed there ah, for six years. You know, and, yeah, you know, I filled up. So thank you, Bat Johnson. But uh, I, I I'm I'm going to inquire uh, to to see if Bat is still around. Let him know I'm looking for him. Tell him to come to my show. I most certainly will. And I thank you very much uh, for being here, um, Mr. Kim Sullivan. And uh, you are wonderful. And uh, I will uh, get a chance to see the piano lesson. And uh, I hope that night that I'm there that, that you're on. So thank That's you so fun. very, very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, General Grant Alexander. Yes, sir. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for watching and listening to uh, What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Don't forget to go to HarlemAmerica.com. We've got some great, uh, if I must say so myself, some, some great TV shows up there with some of the great stars. Uh, and uh, we've got some uh, wonderful uh, articles and things like that. So you have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walk a mile in his or her shoes. And remember, life may be tough. But you're tougher. Take care. Bye bye. Take that. Take that. Take that. Oh, hold on.
Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.